Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey guys, before we get started, just a warning that there's a little swearing in this episode. Okay, here's the show. Recently, reporter Matthew Schneier met up with an up-and-coming actress we'll call Allison. It's not a real name, but it's what he called her in his story. Matthew writes for New York Magazine. She's an actress, she works, you know, film, television, these sort of things, and she has always been, or has generally been, uh, fairly slim. But Allison was about to start promoting a new project, and she wanted to lose a little weight. So in December, she went on a course of semaglutide. That's the generic name for diabetes drugs like Ozempic. And while they are intended for type 2 diabetes, off-label use has exploded, including, of course, in Hollywood. Matthew knew what Allison looked like. He'd seen her on screen. But when they met in person, he could tell something had changed. The way I describe it in the piece is she looked to me like the kind of Instagram version of herself. She wasn't skeletal. He wasn't concerned. But there was a difference. Something looked a little bit kind of sharpened. And and I wasn't surprised when I, you know, I said I, I knew that she was on this drug. But I said, you know, what what's different? And she said, you know, I'm, I'm down 10 pounds. Matthew says they sat together drinking their coffees. He had a normal-sized one and a piece of bread. Allison had a tiny one and no bread. She said she just wasn't interested in food. Several people I spoke to um, who have experience with these medications described feeling a real kind of disinterest, even bordering in disgust on, on food. You know, they, they kind of had to force down their throats, essentially. You know, one woman said to me, you know, I loved Brussels sprouts. Brussels sprouts were my favorite thing. And I would be chewing them and thinking like, you know, when is this going to be over? Today on the show, the era of Ozempic may just be beginning. What does it mean when a drug can profoundly alter weight, health, and our relationship with food? I'm Lizzie O'Leary, and you're listening to What Next TBD?, a show about technology, power, and how the future will be determined. Stick around. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank, USA, Salt Lake City branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Ozempic and Munjaro might be the names you know. Those are brand names for these drugs. They are approved for use by diabetics. Wigovi is also approved to treat obesity. The way they work, in short, is by mimicking a hormone called GLP-1, glucagon-like peptide 1. In diabetics, the drugs lower blood sugar levels, but they also do something else. They work in the brain to tweak the hunger signals. So you, in fact, don't feel hungry anymore. You, you feel full, you feel sated, you feel disinterested. And for many people who have struggled with weight management, uh, and in some cases with obesity, that is an extremely novel feeling. You know, people describe feeling ravenous normally in a way that that doesn't to them even feel normal. I, I don't say that to, to pathologize it. I, I say that in, in repeating um, things that have been told to me both by patients and their doctors, that, that you know, people with, with real appetite control issues literally feel within their body, you know, a, a, a drive to, to consume. And so uh, in regulating this, that provides a lot of them a, a sense of, of relief and, and peace. And if you read, you know, these Reddit forums for Ozempic and Majara, you know, you, you hear people, I read, I guess you see people um, describing, you know, tears of relief at, at, you know, having a few bites of something, feeling sated and putting down the fork, the spoon, the, the chopsticks, whatever, you know, whatever it is they're using. In Matthew's story, he wrote about a medical conference when these drugs' precursors were introduced, and the doctors in the audience were stunned by how well they worked. I think it is really a mark of the incredible enthusiasm they have for the, these drugs, and, and more for the results. One doctor I spoke to, who's the chief scientific officer of the American Diabetes Association, was describing being at a, a scientific meeting when results were announced for one of the predecessor GLP-1 drugs. And, you know, just said, like, there really were cheers, you know, in terms of what these drugs could do, I think in that case for cardiovascular health, it really did feel like a game changer. Game changer is a phrase that gets thrown around a lot. And, you know, you wonder how many times the game really does get changed. But, um from speaking to the medical community, this, this class of drugs, these GLP-1s, really were a significant step forward in the treatment of diabetes and associated conditions, including obesity and weight management. When did they hit the market in a widespread way? So it's a complicated question because, or complicated answer, I should say, because there were a number of GLP-1s. Ozempic was approved in 2017. And, and started being prescribed uh, around then. And it was a success initially, but as it has sort of penetrated the market, as doctors and prescribers have become more aware of it, and, and now certainly as the wider public has become more aware of it, uh, it has really exploded in, in uh, a wild way. You know, I, I spoke to a number of people working at medical analytics firms, you know, and they said to me, when new drugs are, are brought to market or, or, you know, indications expanded, you know, you, you do often see an uptick in prescriptions and usage. But, um, you know, one doctor I spoke with uh, said to me, I've, I've never seen anything like this. And, you know, the numbers are eye-opening. There were 1.2 million um, prescriptions filled for just the drug Ozempic uh, this past December. That was up 64% from the, the December before. That's just one of these three drugs. 
you know, the the operating profits of Novo Nordisk, the company that produces it and produces Wagovi, the, the obesity version of it. These profits are up 58%, I believe, since 2017, when Ozempic was first introduced and brought to market. So, you know, this is a, a very big moment for these drugs and, you know, relatedly for, for the companies that, that produce them. Maybe it seems obvious that a drug that makes you lose weight would be popular in an industry where being thin is not just an advantage, but often a requirement, and where off-label prescriptions can be easy to come by. It's hard to know exactly when Ozempic and its cousins took over Hollywood, but there's no question it happened. As best I've been able to determine, that kind of happened slowly and then all at once. Um, You know, part of the story of this drug is that it has become, you know, really a name brand in the sense of of kind of public recognition. There, There aren't that many name brand drugs that person on the street happens to know. One uh, one doctor I spoke with said, you know, not since Botox or Viagra has, uh, you know, has has a drug like Ozempic come along that people instantaneously know and, and ask for by name. When, when you think about things like Botox and Viagra, I mean, th- those have essentially entered the, the vernacular, right? I think relatively early on in, in the process, uh, doctors began to sort of understand it had this side effect and, and felt, generally speaking, it was kind of safe to prescribe off-label. Certainly one of the biggest media moments for Zempic in particular happened last year. There, there was a whole kind of to-do around Kim Kardashian going to the Met Gala last May. Um, she wore this vintage dress of Marilyn Monroe's. I tried it on and it didn't fit me. And so I looked at them and I said, give me like three weeks. And I, I had to lose 16 pounds down today to, to be able to fit this. And so she did not admit to taking Ozempic. In fact, she has specifically denied taking Ozempic. I want to be clear about that. But it very quickly became a sort of popular assumption and rumor and, and kind of meme, essentially, that she had. And whether she did or not, the idea that there was this drug out there that could do this for you, caught fire very quickly. And so Ozempic is really taken off on social media. TikTok in particular, there are hundreds of millions of impressions for for the Ozempic hashtag. Okay, so a lot of people are asking um, what I did to lose weight. Um, I wish I could say it was from diet and exercise. Um, it's not. It is from a shot called semaglutide. You've probably heard of it, like Wagovi or Ozempic. Um, and I've been doing them for probably about four months, and I'm down like 25 pounds. I love it. It has helped me tremendously. The scientific officer, uh, Dr. Robert Gabe from the American Diabetes Association, said to me, you know, this is the first diabetes drug in the age of uh, social media, or not the first drug, but the the first one to to kind of be viral in the age of social media. And so I think once that happens, it becomes a feedback loop. The more Hollywood it gets, the more it kind of blows up culturally coast to coast, the more it blows up culturally coast to coast, the more Hollywood people realize, you know, maybe an option for them uh, and, and so on and so forth. And while it might be hard to quantify, it's pretty easy to imagine the downstream effects of watching your favorite celebrity, or say Elon Musk, losing weight on these drugs and wanting to try it yourself. I'm not sure there's any way to specifically quantify that effect because we also don't know, you know, I think it's safe to presume that, you know, some of these celebrities are getting it, you know, 
prescribed to them. And so, you know, their, their numbers are being adequately reflected in the prescriptions and, and some are not, um, some are getting it through other means. And, you know, there's, there's no real easy way to quantify that. I think, Generally speaking, with growth numbers like these, you can see that there is an enormous amount of interest and and both sort of like viral and intentional marketing behind this. And, and you know, for the record, Novo Nordisk does market this drug specifically to consumers. It's careful to do so uh, under the aegis of, of diabetes. But um, many people, I think, have the experience of seeing these television ads or streaming ads pop up. You know, they, they have a little jingle. Oh, oh. People with type 2 diabetes are excited about the potential of once-weekly Ozempic. In a study with the magic song from the 70s, this classic rock song, you know, not, not to put too fine a point on it, but this company would, would love for you to believe that Ozempic itself is magic, I think. I don't, I don't think that's a huge interpretive leap. So I think that, that too plays a part. It's, uh, the, the company is very clear. I spoke to their, um, you know, medical affairs officer, you know, they cannot endorse, they do not suggest any off-label use, any pirated use. However, you know, they they know and acknowledge that that this is happening and, you know, there's a limited amount they can do about it except, you know, kind of say from the sidelines, please, please only use this if, you know, your doctor prescribes it for the care of uh, diabetes. But the drugs aren't cheap. Insurance coverage for them can vary. And without insurance, the money adds up. If you're getting it from your doctor, the list price is about $900. That That is uh, a month. Ozempic in particular is a weekly injection, a month supply for injections. $900 is the list price. Now, that that's a little bit like, you know, the sort of sticker price at a car dealership, you know, depending on where you're getting it. There may be manufacturer coupons. There may be different deals with different pharmacies, direct mail-ordered pharmacies, whatever the case may be. Um, but generally speaking, for Ozempic in particular, you're looking around $900 to maybe $1,000. Um, for the other medications, for um, Wagovi and Manjaro, they tend to be even a little bit more than that, sort of in the, the $1,000 to, to kind of $1,300 a month uh, range. When we come back, what happens if you're a diabetic who needs these drugs but can't get them? Hey, everybody, it's Neil. I've got some huge news. Decoder is moving to Mondays and Thursdays. We're adding a second episode of the show. On Mondays, we'll have our classic interviews with CEOs and other troublemakers. I think we're going to have to start having conversations about how do we pay those jobs that can't be done by AI. And on Thursdays, we'll be explaining big topics in the news with Verge reporters, experts, and other friends of the show. There's a new generation of people on the internet. Google search has always sucked for them. So, you know, there's no reason for them to be loyal. They can just go to TikTok. This is going to be really fun. I'm very excited about all this. So go subscribe wherever you get your podcasts now. Hi, this is Dahlia Lithwick, host of Slate's legal podcast, Amicus. If you're listening to this show, you might be interested in Amicus's live show that we're hosting in Washington, D.C. on Tuesday, May the 14th. My colleague, Mark Joseph Stern, and I will be talking to some amazing guests, including Sherilyn Eiffel and a sitting state Supreme Court justice all about how originalism, a relatively recently invented way of interpreting the Constitution, has taken over the Supreme Court and radically reshaped the law. 
It's been doctrinal rocket fuel for the conservative legal movement and facilitated the rolling back of abortion rights, the expansion of gun rights, and the obliteration of the separation of church and state. And as another wildly consequential Supreme Court term careers to its end, the court's originalists are on a tear. But there's something you can do about it, and we hope you'll join us in D.C. on May 14th to explore the possible pathways out of the current situation. Go to slate.com slash amicus live for tickets. If you want to understand what is happening in the United States right now, you really need to understand what's happening with the courts, the law and the Supreme Court. The battle between democracy and whatever this cage match is that we're witnessing, it's going to be won and lost at the ballot box, but it's also going to be won and lost in the courtrooms. I'm Dahlia Lithwick. I host Slate's legal podcast, Amicus, and we are doubling our output, bringing you weekly episodes from here on in, because how else can we keep an eye on the many trials of Donald Trump, the conservative legal movement's assaults on our rights, the Supreme Court's latest slate of environmental gutting, gun safety, eviscerating cases on the docket. So follow Amicus wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes dropping every Saturday morning. As the drugs become more popular for weight loss, there are lots of stories, and Matthew's heard them too, about diabetics who can't fill their prescriptions. It's a real concern, and uh, there there is certainly um, you know compelling evidence, may, maybe anecdotal evidence, but there, there certainly a lot of um, suggestion that you know at least last year, people who needed it for diabetes were having a hard time getting it. Part of that was a supply chain issue. There there were some issues, um, I believe, with with the kind of production chain. Although officers from the company said very clearly, you know, we expected this drug to do well. We did not expect it to do so well. So clearly, had we known that, we might have built the supply chain in in a different way. And so I I certainly spoke to uh, patients who said to me, you know, I was shunted from pharmacy to pharmacy looking for this medication. It was tough to get our hands on it. Doctors told me their patients were, were emailing them nearly constantly saying, you know, I can't fill this prescription. What do I do? People were were cutting doses in half to, to stretch them out. It's hard to know if, if that was a direct result of, um, you know, specifically people taking it off-label, but I, I think, it, you know, it's completely fair to say uh, it was absolutely a follow-on effect, a knock-on effect of the incredible popularity, which was driven both by on- and off-label use. There's a statistic in Matthew's story that blew me away. 81% of prescriptions for these drugs are written for women. As a woman, I didn't know what to do with that. On the one hand, we're constantly bombarded with messages from society that we aren't thin enough. And it felt depressing that those numbers meant maybe we were giving in to that pressure. But on the other hand, a lot of people, people whose doctors have advised them to lose weight, have testified that these drugs finally help them do it after years of struggling. And now they feel freer and healthier and better about themselves. I think one thing that's important to bear in mind is as much as it is, um, you know, a drug that people are using off-label for 
reasons that we might consider vain or or less than medical or cosmetic. Uh, It's also a drug that is having a really significant effect on people's well-being, you know, who feel they need it and, and who may have struggled, you know, with these issues for for years, if not if not their entire lives. Um, you know, the, the statistic about 81% of women, you know, receiving these, these medications, you know, startled me as well. I think generally speaking, um, women seek medical care more readily and more frequently than men do. So, you know, the, some of that comes into play. I do think that while men also struggle with body image. Uh, we we know that this is a problem that that disproportionately affects women uh, and girls. I mean, that that's another part of this as well, is that, you know, these medications, Wagovi has been approved for use in, in patients as young as 12. The American Pediatric Association revised its obesity treatment guidelines uh, at the very beginning of this year to basically okay, if not outright encourage, the use of, of medications to deal with obesity. So, that also is a kind of collision course between this kind of medical treatment and medicalized treatment and, you know, the messages we were bombarding uh, girls and, and young girls with, uh, you know, on social media and the general media and culture, you know, full stop. But, and this is important, a lot of doctors are really excited about the potential of these drugs to treat obesity, something which affects roughly 42% of Americans, according to the CDC. And obesity can come with all kinds of downstream health effects, like high blood pressure and heart disease. I wondered if the doctors Matthew spoke to were frustrated by the Hollywood weight loss drama surrounding these drugs. Well, it's a real minefield, right? I mean, it it is, I, I, you know, and, and I want to be very careful, and I also, you know, I want to continue to underscore I, I am not a doctor. This is not medical advice. Uh, Speaking to doctors and especially endocrinologists um, and and those with a subspecialty in um, obesity, because there are, in fact, are board certifications in in obesity medicine, they will tell you there are associated health risks to obesity and and even being overweight. That that is not to say that anyone who is overweight or obese is, uh, you know, by definition unhealthy. And it's certainly not to say that anybody who uh, is, is within a normal weight category or, or underweight is is themselves healthy. Health is a matrix and there are a million factors that inform all of these things. That said, my understanding is that in broad strokes, the potential for medical problems associated with obesity, cardiovascular problems, diabetes problems, things like this, you know, are, are real. And so, you know, if you ask a doctor, would you prefer me to be obese or non-obese, all things being equal, I, I generally think most doctors are going to say, you know, if you could be a non-obese, that that would be, on the whole, healthier for you. Um, so yes, you know, I think the reason that doctors are prescribing these medications, especially to diabetic patients, is not is not specifically for the weight loss, but that is a non-incidental side effect. You know, if diabetics need to manage their blood sugar. Managing blood sugar is easier um, when weight is under control. One important wrinkle is that these drugs haven't really been on the market long enough and tested enough in a non-diabetic population to know all of their side effects. Generally speaking, these drugs are well-tolerated. That is generally speaking. Almost every patient I spoke with had some side effects, ranging from mild to significant. Uh, they generally lessen as your body adjusts and, and you know, you take some time to, to move up in dosage, but they can include, the, the most common ones include 
uh, nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and constipation. Uh, some people also mention fatigue. Some people also mention headaches. But almost everyone I spoke to in the patient community said that they're well worth, you know, some nausea, some vomiting, some diarrhea, uh, whatever the case may be. There, were, there was one patient I spoke with, um, a woman that we call April in the story, who said that her headaches and nausea were so bad that she was hoping to go off. Um, she was on Ozempic and she was hoping to go off and she was, she was prescribed it on label for her diabetes. It did bring her A1C down. Uh, her doctor was very pleased with that result. She found that her headaches were so bad that she was interested in going off it. But, you know, and this is the but, and I said, you know, what about this weight loss that you've had and enjoyed, which was not your aim, which was not the purpose? And she said, you know, it actually, it does give me pause. Uh, I, I like the way I look now better. Uh, you know, she had come to New York for this party. She was wearing a dress she hadn't fit into in some time. Everybody was noticing. Everybody was oohing and eyeing. She put a picture of herself on Facebook. People can't believe it. You know, that is seductive and 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 it is tempting to people and uh you know i think it's it's every patient and every doctor's uh in consultation you know decision whether the side effects uh are worth the benefits one woman matthew spoke to was hilariously deadpan about just how seductive the weight loss was for her and how much she might be willing to tolerate this woman was, uh, you know, was she joking? Was she not joking? This this was one of the funnier people I spoke to. So I I, I do think she was riffing a little bit. But, uh, you know, these drugs are relatively new. The FDA has approved them as being safe under specific circumstances and for treatment of specific drugs. Um, that said, they do mandate warnings that uh, patients with a certain history of thyroid issues, uh, certain kind of thyroid cancer, pancreatitis, should not be taking them because in lab rodents, these drugs were linked to the development of a certain kind of thyroid tumor. We don't know whether, you know, the same should be expected in humans, but it is a possibility. that That's one reason why, you know, taking them outside of a doctor's care really can be dangerous. You know, if you are getting them from a prescriber that asks you, no questions about your medical history, uh, you don't volunteer, that that may not be trained to, you know, deal with such things. You know, it's not impossible that someone with, uh, you know, a kind of dangerous precondition could could be taking a drug that, that really they ought not to be taking. But this woman sort of said to me, you know, well, if this drug was going to give me breast cancer, of course I wouldn't take it. If it was going to give me lung cancer, I wouldn't take it. But, you know, thyroid cancer feels like a manageable cancer, you know, question mark. I do not endorse that view. Uh, I, I am not an oncologist either, but uh, I, to me, it was it was an absolutely incredible moment of candor from someone that that really gives you a picture into how tense these issues around weight and body and and self esteem are for people. That they are willing to roll the dice on at least the possibility of very serious medical issues if it will, you know, be a panacea for for this other issue that they've dealt with, you know, potentially for a long time being their weight. One other thing that comes through in Matthew's story is the secrecy and even shame around taking these drugs. The implication being, sure, everyone might be on them, but hey, not me. It's almost like an injection rather than some grueling regimen of workouts and calorie restriction is somehow cheating. I would speak to patients who are on it and, and they would say, you know, well, everybody's doing this and it's all over the place and, you know, there's nothing wrong with it. And I would say, well, great, you know, can, can we use your name in the story? Uh, and they would say, oh, no, 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 
<laughs> Absolutely not. You know, I, I I couldn't possibly talk to you. I couldn't possibly reveal this. And and I think it's I think it's twofold. One, I think you know there is the ethical murkiness around some of these people taking this medication um, in an off label way, uh, even in a kind of off market way, um, gray market way. You know, no no one wants to brag that they're taking a medically necessary drug out of the hands of uh, people who need it for medicine, right? I, I quoted um, Aubrey Gordon, who's who's a, a you know a, a kind of fat positive writer and activist in the piece, saying you know it it really is reprehensible to take a drug that someone needs medically and use it you know for swimsuit season. So I, you know not everyone feels that way, and that's a personal calculus. I, I you know I, I don't take a strong position on that myself, but certainly I think that feeling is out there. Uh, and and then secondly, you know, I think we culturally have a very complicated relationship with diet and exercise and kind of the quote-unquote right and wrong ways to lose weight or manage body weight, you know. Is Ozempic a kind of cheat? You know, I was I was speaking to uh, Linda Wells, who, you know, who's a longtime observer and writer in the beauty industry. She was the founding editor of Allure. And she was saying, you know, diet discussions have become extremely fraught. You know, Weight Watchers is now WW. We don't talk about weight. We talk about wellness. That said, there still seems to be the long hangover of this idea that, you know, the kind of correct diet to do is one that is effortful and painful. And, you know, that, that there's a sort of moral benefit or something to, to you know, losing weight by whatever it is, sweating to the oldies or, you know, running marathons or whatever it is. You know, I, I think some people either feel or fear that others will feel that losing weight via injectable drug feels like a kind of unnecessary, unfair shortcut. It's hard to look at the shame around these drugs and their simultaneous popularity and not wonder if our quote-unquote wellness era was bullshit. These last few years were supposed to be our era of body positivity and size inclusivity and, you know, ad campaigns featuring men and women of of all sizes and shapes. And, you know, we celebrate that and that's beautiful. And, And to be clear, that is beautiful. But what you sort of find as soon as a silver bullet appears and people race to take it is that it seems that even those people who are the first to proclaim that it's beautiful would rather it be beautiful for other people. You know, does that give the lie to the whole thing? I, I'm not sure, but it certainly kind of shakes the foundations of of uh, that whole edifice. There's also something, and I wonder what you think about this, that feels very... I don't know if it's just American or individualistic about these drugs as like a kind of weight loss solution writ large, right? Like they're not addressing an inequitable food system. It's not helping people get preventative care earlier in their lives. It's an injection. It's an injection you you can buy. Um, I'm not sure what to do with that. I'm not sure where it fits into that that puzzle. I think the the benefit of these drugs is that for a really epidemic problem in America and a, and a problem around the world, but you know, diabetes in America affects um, tens of millions of people. You know, the CDC numbers suggest that uh, I think it's 37 million adult Americans have diabetes, another 96 million are pre-diabetic. Th- this is a major issue and also, you know, not unrelatedly for these drug companies, a major market and a major opportunity. Um, And so while 
it's very easy and, and maybe to some extent correct to, to worry that this, you know, is, is a patch on, on a necessary larger solution. I think it's also possible to look at these drugs and, and see that for the people who need them, uh, they're, they're providing a good and necessary service. And, uh, you know, when used appropriately and within a doctor's care, um, they shouldn't be stigmatized and they, they shouldn't be a source of, of shame or, or anything else. Matthew Schneier, thank you so much for your reporting and for talking with me. Thanks so much for having me. Matthew Schneier is a features writer at New York Magazine. And that is it for our show today. What Next TBD is produced by Evan Campbell. Our show is edited by Shannon Pallas. Alicia Montgomery is vice president of audio for Slate. TBD is part of the larger What Next family. And we're also part of Future Tense, a partnership of Slate, Arizona State University, and New America. And if you're a fan of the show and like what you hear, I have a request for you. Join Slate Plus. It's the best way to support us. Just head on over to slate.com slash whatnextplus to sign up. All right, we'll be back next week with more episodes. I'm Lizzie O'Leary. Thanks for listening. Save big money at Menards. Let the fresh air in and keep the bugs out with replacement screen for your doors and windows from AdForce. It's easy to install, durable against the elements, and comes in a variety of types to suit your needs. Repair your screens today with a roll of replacement screen on sale through May 5th. And check out more great deals happening now in our weekly flyer on Menards.com. Save big